Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Get outside and explore Chicago on a CAFC river cruise aboard Chicago's First Lady. Now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Called the number one boat tour in Chicago by TripAdvisor, CAC docents share the fascinating secrets and stories behind more than 50 famous buildings facing the Chicago River. Delight in panoramic views and hear how our hometown became world-renowned for its architecture. Book your tickets today at architecture.org. Hey, college students, are you looking for a way to get ahead this summer? Northwestern University is offering hundreds of undergrad courses online this summer. Choose an intensive sequence in learning. Registration is open now. Visit northwestern.edu slash summer for details. We got to thank the following unions for sponsoring this program. By the way, if you're listening to this show, we have over 500,000 downloads. And if you own a business, boy, we would love to sponsor it. That's right. Uh, just contact Tracy Bame at the Chicago Reader. And uh, I don't know, find the number for the Sun-Times and call someone there and uh, say, hey, I want to sponsor the Ben Jarofsky show. I'm not sure who you asked for. But uh, yeah, that'd be fantastic if you uh, became a sponsor. Well, I'll make a commercial. We'll do a, Ben will do a live read. He loves live reads. But seriously, uh, I would love to add your business or union to this list. I am about to read The Ben Jarofsky Show. is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. That's correct. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. That's correct. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by our dear friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Let me tell you about voting by mail. It's pretty cool. Voting by mail ensures equitable access for everyone. Normally, vote by mail applications are filled out online or in person. This creates a burden for people with limited access to transportation or internet services. Disproportionately, the elderly or people of color who are among those at greatest risk from COVID-19. Because of the pandemic, a law was passed in Illinois for November requiring vote by mail applications be sent to anyone who voted in 2018, 2019, or the 2020 primary. This falls short of what is needed particularly since these elections saw low turnout. We need to expand access. Mail-in voting is the best way to ensure everyone's voice can be heard safely. We can help expand voting access in Chicagoland by asking officials to send every eligible voter a vote-by-mail application. So, visit VoteMailChicago.com. That's VoteMailChicago.com. Dot com for call scripts and a petition. One more time. Vote. V-O-T-E. Mail. M-A-I-L. Chicago. C-H-I-C-A-G-O. Dot com to make sure that every voter in Cook County has safe and equitable polling. That's correct. Yesterday on the Ben Jarofsky Show. 
Brian doing an excellent job uh, at his studio in Berlin. I could see him on my screen. He's got all his guitars uh, in the background. Uh, he will be engineering my show tomorrow, and I'm going to really beg him pretty please to take one of those guitars off the wall and play it for us. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Friday, July 17th, 2020 starts now. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Madigan Malfeasance Friday. And here's why. Well, here I was all set to write a brilliant, and I mean brilliant with a B, opening about Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia and his no-mask lawsuit against Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. Question, is Brian Kemp a racist or is he just a dimwit? You decide, America. Then I was going to follow up with even a, a more brillianter opening. Is that even a word? Brillianter? Don't know. Anyway, about the raging Steve Schmidt debate that's going on. Well, okay, it's only raging on my wife's Facebook page, but still, a rage is a rage. When? I woke to discover two, count them, two texts from Madigan haters about the ongoing federal investigation into Michael Joseph Madigan, a.k.a. Madigan Gate. Breaking news in the form of a news story from Tony Arnold at WBEZ. All right. I know he was not the only one who broke the story, ladies and gentlemen, but that's the one that people sent me. So we're going with the Tony Arnold version. All right. So sometimes reporters, tribute reporters, calm down. People sent me the Tony Arnold version. I can't believe that Tony Arnold had the story before anyone else. Anyway. Tony Arnold's story said that Commonwealth Edison had been charged with bribery in a highly, quote, explosive court filing released Friday. That's explosive, like explosion. And it sure did sort of exploded my day because, <laughs> folks, I'm not proud of my immediate reaction. Oh, no, I'm not proud of this at all. So please, whatever you do, do not tell my supervisors at the Reader or the Chicago Sun-Times or for God's sakes, please don't tell Tony Arnold. At WBEC. But my first reaction was, damn you, Tony Arnold. I was so close, so close to the weekend, so close to kicking back and smoking a doobie on the rocks or walking down the street and talking to Monroe Anderson on the phone about Donald Trump or talking to Mick Dumkey for endless hours about Bob Dylan or TIFFs. Yes, folks, Mick Dumkey and I spent an hour yesterday on a phone conversation about TIFFs. We need help. It was a cry for help. It was a plea. Or on the phone with Dr. D, Dennis, please, Dennis, do your, please do your Joe Rogan imitation. No, I'm sick and tired of doing Joe Rogan imitations for you. I'm not a jukebox. By the way, one more time, let's um, condolences to Dennis and his family. The funeral for his father was today. Uh, Dennis is still with his family in Alton. Brian is uh, still sitting in as my producer. Uh, and Dennis will be back next week. So just how to say that. I'm thinking of you, Dr. D. And I will not bug you about Joe Rogan. Anyway, I was so close, close to just 
taking it easy. I felt a little bit, my reaction was a little bit like a baseball beat writer uh, reacting to a pitcher who goes into the eighth inning with a no hitter. And this is true, folks. I have been in press boxes when things like this have happened. No baseball beat writer will ever admit this. You know, they're always like, oh my God, a no hitter. I love a no hitter. I love the game. I love everything about it. I can't, I really hope I get to witness a no hitter. That's what they say. But in reality, they're sitting there looking, oh my God, a no hitter. That means more work. That means more interviews. That means a sidebars. That means we'll be up staying at this ballpark later than I want. I won't get to go home and watch Kojak on TV. I'm actually not really sure that baseball beat writers watch Kojak on TV. We'll have to ask Joe Colley about that next time he's on the show. He was a beat writer of baseball before he was a beat writer for the Chicago Bulls. Anyway. But that's how baseball writers generally react uh, when a pitcher is closing in on a no-hitter. They're like moaning because it means more work. <laughs> that's sort of, sort of how I acted when Tony Arnold b- broke that story. His <laughs> explosive stories. One of those Friday announcements. Oh, man. But this time, it really was. It really was an explosive story. Michael Joseph Madigan, the all-powerful Democratic Speaker of the House, Chairman of the Democratic Party, Master of Machine Politics. He learned the craft of Democratic Machine Politics from the original master, Richard J. Daly. And that is basically this. You reward your friends, punish your enemies, and you don't promote anyone in the ranks until they have proven their loyalty to you above all else. By the way, Notice some similarities to one Donald John Trump. Just saying, Republicans. Okay. Madigan also runs a lucrative property tax appeal business in which he, follow me on this one, folks, wind reduction for downtown landlords by making appeals to his allies in the Cook County Assessor's Office. Many of those downtown landlords are Republicans. Just thought you might know that it's sort of a bipartisan feeding at the trough here with Michael Joseph Madigan. Not something you'll ever hear a Republican admit. Now, I have to uh, make a confession here. I have mixed feelings about Madigan. For most of my journalistic career, I railed against Madigan in the 90s and the O's. To me, he was the symbol of all that was wrong with big Democratic Chicago machine politics. And then in 2014, I had this moment of enlightenment, set the scene. I was at the hideout bar. Mick Dumpke and I were doing one of our first Tuesday shows. Professor Paul Green was in the audience, the late Professor Paul Green, political science professor. He wasn't even a guest. He just showed up to listen to the discussion. And somehow or other in the question and answer, I don't even know who the guests were, but somehow or other in the question and answer, somebody in the audience of the liberal persuasion of the independent-minded persuasion made a denounce, denounced Michael Madigan, at which point Professor Green said, you know, you liberals, I'm paraphrasing here, you liberals, you criticize Madigan, but one day you'll be thanking him because he's the goalie. He's the one in the state of Illinois blocking you, saving you from Bruce Rauner. That moment, folks, the light went on. Sometimes it takes a while for the light to go on in my head, but when it goes on, ding, it really goes on. And I, you know, I thought Professor Paul Green has a point. And in the next couple of years, my attitude really started to change about Madigan because it was Michael Joseph Madigan who stood up to Bruce Rauner on issues of collective bargaining rights. And as you all know, I'm a union man. Collective bargaining means a lot to me. My show is sponsored by unions. The newspapers I worked for were essentially saved by the newspaper guild. At least that's how I view it. So, yes, I had a newfound appreciation for Madigan, at least that he was willing to stand up to Rauner on the issue of collective bargaining rights. 
especially had a newfound uh, appreciation for Michael Joseph Madigan when I considered the opposite end of the scale, Donald Trump. And you could say what you will about Michael Madigan, but he never fired an attorney general for not bearing an investigation like Donald Trump did or order aides to ignore congressional subpoenas like Donald Trump did or moved and marginal mocked and marginalized law enforcement officers who were investigating his malfeasance like Donald Trump did. So, you know, I'll believe the outrage of Republicans over Michael Madigan's wrongdoings when I hear them speak up against Donald Trump. Now, again, let me go back to what uh, the story today is. It's a very exclusive story. Commonwealth Edison, and I'm quoting from Tony Arnold's story, arranged for various associates, associates of public official A to obtain jobs, even in instances where certain political allies perform little or no work. Commonwealth Edison paid 200 million in agreed to pay 200 million in fines for this. Now, public official, A, you know, the feds are a trip, aren't they? They want to come out and say who the people are. I don't know why they play this game. You know, it's the same thing with Bogoyevich, public official. A. Why don't you say, Michael? I don't know. I, I'm sure there's a reason. And if I had a lawyer on the show right now, if I had a criminal justice reporter right now, they would explain the reason. Like they buy into the whatever logic. Well, Ben, this is why they do it. We're supposed to accept the logic. Anyway, whatever. Everybody figured out who public official A is, that it could only be Michael Madigan. Uh, so everybody knows it's Michael Madigan that you're talking about. And Republicans are outraged. I have with me a statement uh, that was sent out over the wires. How about this breaking news, everybody? I not only dealt with the story I was breaking from Tony Arnold, I got the Republicans hot off the press response. Here we go. Congressman Rodney Davis, Darren LaHood, and John Shimkus and Adam Kinzinger and Mike Boast, four Republican congressmen in the state of Illinois, released the following statement regarding the unprecedented, that's, this is reading press release, unprecedented developments in ongoing federal criminal investigations to Speaker Madigan. It's so funny, unprecedented development. Um, excuse me, in the state of Illinois, like, I don't know, four or five governors have gone to the federal pen. I hardly call corruption in the state of Illinois unprecedented. Nonetheless, here's what they said. Oh, but <clears throat> Illinoisans are sadly no stranger to corruption in our state politics, but simultaneous federal criminal investigation into both the Speaker of the House and the governor are truly unprecedented. Let me stop to say this. While I was doing the investigation of the Commonwealth Edison uh, deal, another story broke from the Sun-Times. I don't know if anybody else had it. I just saw the Sun-Times Tim Novak's version of the story that uh, federal prosecutors are seeking assessor records uh, having to do with various tax breaks from the Joe Barrios era when he was running the Cook County Assessor Sauces. And if you recall, like I finished saying, Speaker Madigan has a very lucrative uh, tax appeal business where he would go to the assessor on behalf of downtown, generally downtown property owners and say, they're paying too much in property taxes. Can you do something to reduce that amount? And Joe Berrios, who was running the uh, county assessor's office for many years, Joe Berrios, who was the chairman of the Cook County Democratic Party, Joe Berrios, who was an ally of Michael Joseph Madigan, would go along more often than not. So the feds are investigating that too, including... Yes, it's come back. It's returned. Governor Pritzker, Toilet Gate. Oh, I wish Dennis were here. He loved Brian. He loves Toilet Gate. Who doesn't <laughs> love Toilet Gate? <laughs> that Dennis's favorite scandal, Toilet Gate. We've been talking about Toilet Gate for so long. 
Toilet Gate's the one. Follow me this, folks. I'm sure you remember. But I noticed, Brian, there's a lot of listeners that we have, like in Kentucky. Like People from Kentucky are tuning in and are going, what's Toilet Gate? So, I mean, just as for the people in Kentucky, all right? <laughs> toilet Gate's the one where J.B. Pritzker, before he was governor, uh, had the toilets removed from his mansion on the Gold Coast and then appealed for an assessment uh, to lower his taxes to the Cook County Assessor's Office on the grounds that he didn't have a toilet in his building. Uh, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, I don't think he could get away with that, JB. Anyway, JB has since, uh, when the store broke and you know he was embarrassed. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. How did that happen? Uh, he paid back the money, but it's still an ongoing investigation. Toiletgate. So you got M- Madigan's malfeasance in regard to Commonwealth Edison, alleged, and J.B. Pritzker and Toiletgate and Joe Berrios and property tax reductions. Not a good day for Cook County Democrats to put him out like... <clears throat> So back to this outrage press release from the Illinois Republican delegation, Rodney Davis, Darren LaHood, John Shimkus, Adam Kissinger, and Mike Bose. Here we go. <clears throat> Illinoisans are sadly no strangers to corruption in our state politics, but simultaneous federal criminal investigations, both the House Speaker and the governor are truly unprecedented. Today's developments in the ongoing bribery investigation against Speaker Madigan and the property tax fraud investigation against Governor Ritzker, <laughs> Governor Ritzker, Governor Pritzker are disturbing. <laughs> we fully support U.S. Attorney John Lausch and other federal officials in their important work to help those who violate the public's trust to justice. The people of Illinois deserve better than Illinois Democrats embarrassing s- systemic corruption. Here, here. I'm with you, Davis, LaHood, Shimkus, Kinzinger and Boast. The people of Illinois do deserve better than this. However, where is the press release of outrage about, let's just change this a little bit, Donald Trump's violation of the public's trust. Where's that press release? Where's that press release denouncing Donald Trump for sabotaging investigations, for firing prosecutors, for firing White House aides who dared to testify him from for other White House aides not to abide by congressional skeetas for for burying documents that the public needs to know to see about how their government is operating for not releasing his taxes for taking that tax case all the way to the Supreme Court for arguing in front of the Supreme Court that the president of the United States is above the law and the Supremes ruled against him, but they did it in such a wimpy, convoluted way that he will not have to release his property taxes. Property taxes. I'm getting him mixed up with Pritzker. He will not have to release his income taxes until after November's election. So where was Rodney Davis, Darren LaHood, John Shimkus, Adam Kinzinger, and Michael Bost to declare their outrage against that travesty of justice? Yeah, they were hiding under the tables. They're so afraid of one tweet from Donald John Trump that they will never speak out against. Or if they do, it'll be like in hushed tones or they, they'll like they'll, they'll like cover it up a little bit so you won't know exactly what they're talking about. Or they'll say, this, this is, I'm concerned about this. Uh, this, this needs uh, some investigation. Um, yes, um, I'm a little concerned about this. No outrage, no specificity, no call for investigations. Look, man. I have been writing and reporting of the mouth of about the malfeasance of powerful Democrats in Cook County since the 80s. I've been denouncing powerful mayors and their TIF deals and their inside scams with all their little friends. 
And usually I can't find a Republican anywhere. Like when it's about a TIF deal that's benefiting some powerful interest downtown, I can't find a Republican to join me. It seems they only care to join the chorus denouncing Cook County Democratic politicians when they think it can help them, what, seize control of the state house? They certainly aren't going to join me in my denunciation of Donald Trump. So I'm a little hesitant for a lot of reasons to join the chorus of outrage against Michael Maddie. Yeah, it's absurd that our system would allow powerful public officials like Michael Madigan, John Cullerton, and Ed Burke to operate property tax appeals business. I absolutely agree on that. But we were the Republicans all those years when their friends and cronies were getting tax breaks on their property downtown, thanks to Madigan, thanks to Cullerton, thanks to Ed Burke, not a word out of them. And where are they now to denounce Donald Trump? Not a word out of them. So have a little little skepticism about Republican outrage at Michael Madigan. Anyway, my Madigan hating friends, they're saying this is it, Ben. They're going to get the speaker. You watch. But I don't know, man. Michael Madigan's a cat or like a cat. I'll be at one with a curious craving for apples. He loves apples, ladies and gentlemen. My guess is that this Commonwealth Edison scandal is like one of nine lives that he has to sacrifice. He still has several more to go. We got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein will be here, a Chicago Sun-Times editor and columnist. We have a whole list of items on our agenda to discuss. I've already uh, gone over it with Ramana Hussein. Can't wait to do that discussion. And Brian, we also have something left over from yesterday. Am I correct about that? We definitely do. And we also, I, I had a missed, uh, I missed the, uh, I had that all queued up for <laughs> toilet gate and I completely flubbed it. So at least we got it in later. But yes, your clip from uh, the other day that's been held up, covered in dust, spider webs all over it. Let me dust it off and play it now. Okay. Donald Trump has been the worst president this country has ever had. And I, I, I don't say that hyperbolically. He, he is. Um, but he is a consequential president. And he has brought this country in three short years to a place of weakness that is simply unimaginable if you were pondering where we are today from the day where Barack Obama left office. And there were a lot of us on that day who were deeply skeptical and very worried about what a Trump presidency would be. But this is a moment of unparalleled national humiliation, of weakness. When you listen to the president, these are the musings of an imbecile, an idiot. And I don't use those words to name call. I use them because they're the precise words in the English language to describe his behavior, his comportment, his actions. We've never seen a level of incompetence, a level of ineptitude, so staggering on a daily basis by anybody in the history of the country who's ever been charged with substantial responsibilities. It's just astonishing that this man is the president of the United States, the man, the con man from New York City, many bankruptcies, failed businesses, a reality show that branded him as something that he never was, a successful businessman. Well, he's the 
president of the United States now and the man who said that he would make the country great again. He's brought death, suffering, and economic collapse on truly an epic scale. And let's be clear, this isn't happening in every country around the world. This place, our place, our home, our country, the United States, we are the epicenter. We are the place where you're most likely to die of this disease. We're the ones with the most shattered economy. And we are because of the fool that sits in the Oval Office behind the Resolute Desk. Scathing words. Yes, yeah, scathing words. That's all right. That is Steve Schmidt. And Steve Schmidt is a Republican operative. He worked on behalf of John McCain's campaign in 2008. Uh, and he's one of the Republicans who either formed or joined. I can't remember if he's one of the original uh, original members of the Lincoln Project, whatever. He's a prominent member of the Lincoln Project. He's a prominent, outspoken Republican opponent uh, to Donald Trump. John Trump's been that way for like the last four years. Uh, and these are a small group of Republicans. Talked about them in the past. They're a small group of Republicans who are doing everything they can to defeat Donald Trump in November. Their intention is to uh, air commercials in key swing states uh, in the hopes that they could just get a sliver of Republicans to uh, drop their support of Trump and go to Biden. If they do that, that could be the di difference in, let's say, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, perhaps, uh, North Carolina, et cetera, and so forth. So they're very outspoken in their opposition to Donald Trump. And that two-minute riff has been making the rounds all over Facebook and uh, Twitter, et cetera. It came, it was a two-minute riff. It was just like, he just took off. I think it was on CNN. Uh, Steve Schmidt did on, on that rip talking about the fool in the White House. Uh, and as I said, liberals have been uh, sharing it all over the place. My wife, who um, can't stand Donald Trump as much as the next person and is so eager to vote for uh, Joe Biden, posted it. And uh, it was it, it, it uh, ignited an interesting debate among some of her friends. And one woman weighed in, we'll call her Leslie. Leslie weighed in and said, Steve Schmidt hits the nail on the head. Still, I have trouble with him because he gave us Sarah Palin, which I think opened the door to a Trump candidacy. And then another friend, we'll call her uh, Sandy, weighed in and saying uh, he didn't accept Palin. In fact, after Steve Schmidt's first meeting with Palin, he came out of the room shaking his head and said she knows nothing, to which Leslie responded, not true, from the New York Times. She quotes the New York Times. It was Mr. Schmidt who first championed Sarah Palin as Mr. McCain's running mate. A bold move. He told Mr. McCain that could win him the White House. Instead, her selection was widely viewed as one of the most calamitous political judgments in modern presidential politics. By the time McCain conceded, Mr. Schmidt himself feared that his role in the campaign would leave an indelible scar on his reputation. And the quote, end of debate. I thought about this, like, which side do I take Leslie's side in that Steve Schmidt should be held accountable for his past political sins or Sandy's side that it doesn't really matter anymore? And I've been really thinking about this because I think Leslie has a very compelling point. Donald Trump did not just emerge from Mars. Donald Trump's presidency is sort of the evolution of Republican politics that goes back actually long before 
John McCain's 2008 campaign and long before John McCain decided to elevate Sarah Palin. You could see the origins of Donald Trump's campaign. Oh, my God. Even before the Republicans took over the South, you could see it in the words and the rhetoric of George Wallace, the racist former governor, a Democrat, I might add, uh, a racist former governor of Alabama. Uh, you could see it in the words and the strategy and the tactics of Richard Nixon and his Southern strategy, the strategy that try to take advantage and manipulate white fears and prejudices uh, regarding black people in the aftermath of the civil rights law. That successful strategy got so many uh, white Democrats to flip their party and become Republicans. So now that so now that the party of George Wallace is the party of Donald Trump in the South. And it's why Donald Trump can expect pretty much lock solid control of the electoral votes of all the Southern states, of all the Confederate state states, I might add, although Texas could be in, called into question, maybe Florida as well. So yes, the the it's not that Donald Trump just emerged out of nowhere in 2016. His roots are in the Republican party and in particular, Leslie is absolutely correct when she points out that Steve Schmidt and the John McCain campaign and many of the Republican operatives from that campaign who denounced and can't stand Donald Trump are partly responsible because when they elevated Sarah Palin, they gave a microphone to the sort of rhetoric that Donald Trump uses quite successfully. So, yeah. They are not uh, without some blame and some responsibility for the emergence of Donald Trump and Trumpism. That said, at some point, when you're in a political battle and the future of the country is riding on it, I think we all should give them a little break. They may have been our enemies then, but they're our friends today. And the most important thing, in my humble opinion, politically speaking in this country, is to defeat Donald Trump in November. We'll be right back with Ramana Hussein. Friday, and that means it's time for the Ramana Rundown. Ramana Hussein, editor, columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, is with us every Friday. Welcome back, Ramana. Hi. It's good to hear you again. Yes. And you sound very clear. Uh, All right. We have a whole list of things. I'm going to, I've gotten into doing this. This is, I'm trying to uh, list the the things, the topics we're going to talk about. It's sort of a test to see if I cover them or do we just diverge on going all sorts of tangents? So we're going to talk about Kim Fox and Edwin Meese. We're going to talk about Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Karen Comment. Can't wait to hear you on that one. We're going to talk about Barry Weiss leaving the New York Times, an obsession that you and I share. We're going to, I'm hoping, get into a discussion about Governor Brian Kemp's lawsuit against the mayor of Atlanta. Is it racism or is it idiocy on the part of Governor Kemp? Uh, I don't know if we'll get to that. I got a hunch. If something gets lost, it'll be that one. And then, of course, it's Friday, Ramana's recommendations. We'll see what she's recommending. We'll see what I'm recommending. So that's uh, our list of things to do. And oh, how could I forget? Eddie Kate, 
I'm looking at Eddie Johnson, <laughs> the ongoing saga of Eddie Johnson. It never ends in the front page of my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times, home liberty as it always is. So I'm writing down Eddie Gabe. We'll see if we get to that one, too. I got a feeling that Governor Kemp will fall by the wayside. All right, Romano, let's start with this very interesting article. It was a very sh- a small article uh, in the Sun-Times, page seven by Matthew Hendrickson. Kim Fox, GOP challenger, calls her, quote, a disaster, cites police groups report. I had forgotten that Kim Fox didn't automatically win reelection when she won the Democratic primary. But no, there is indeed a Republican challenger, uh, a gentleman named Patrick O'Brien. And uh, man. Uh, he's digging up uh, some old uh, topics here to go after uh, Kim Fox. So give folks a little background on it, and then let's get into it. What's your thoughts? Go ahead. Yeah, Pat, um, Patrick O'Brien is basically a former defense attorney and circuit court judge, and he is, I believe he was a Democrat, and he switched parties to run against Kim Fox. And uh, just earlier this week, he had announced Kim Fox, um, maybe about uh, last week, she had announced that she has a new complaint form on websites where regular citizens can write complaints about possible, you know, you know, allegations against police officers just to make the process quicker. So it would go straight to prosecutors, any sort of potential criminal allegations against police officers. So um, Patrick O'Brien this week, and he's been a very uh, staunch advocate, outspoken advocate against Kim Fox. Uh, he's We heard him a lot during the Jesse Smollett gate. He basically started a new website where people can file complaints about Kim Fox. And he had a news conference yesterday citing this report by the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund that said that Kim Fox was basically ineffective in convicting criminal suspects. And uh, I don't know, we can talk about the foreword was done by um, Ed Meese, who is the former U.S. Attorney General under Ronald Reagan. And he did a he did a forward about it and basically um, said that, you know, you know, he had a quote about how Kim Fox is and how, you know, any any because this study looked at five of the prosecutors who are similar to Kim Fox, who ran reform platforms and, you know, talked about changing the system. And so, you know, Kim Fox's office said that the way the stats were used was definitely manipulated. And um, there was a study, I think, maybe in 2019 by the Marshall Project or I could be saying the wrong organization. They also had said that um, um, that you know there were convictions, felony convictions that dropped out, but these low-level offenses. And Kim Fox has always been saying that you know she's not necessarily going to prosecute low-level offense offenders. You know, and then and the study noticed that she is convicting more people in gun cases. So it was a study that came out. Um, you know, the Legal Defense Fund basically uh, supports police officers who have been charged um, in crimes. And not to say that they're not a legitimate organization, but we know that the police has been, a lot of police groups have been um, very anti-Fox. So it, when you look at that study, it's always important in all cases to look at who is doing the study. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know Ben and I, you and I talked about Ed Meese. Um, I had no idea who Ed Meese was. So... I can tell you that the reporter, I edited the story and Matt told me that it was done by Ed Meese and I had to Google who it was. So. <laughs> right, you know what? All right, a lot, there's a lot to unpack here. So let's just start with this uh, Ed Meese thing. You're very kind, Romana, uh, to admit that you uh, don't know who Ed Meese is. Listen, here's the reality. Uh, 
this is one of my favorite themes, how little uh, millennials know about anything that happened before they were born. So I'll have many discussions with millennials and I'll make a reference to, I don't know, I'll make a reference to uh, Bill Clinton's uh, first year in office and they'll go, Ben, I wasn't even born yet. And <laughs> and and I'll go, oh, well, I wasn't born during the Korean War, but I've heard of it. Uh, and so it's just, <laughs> that's my millennial imitation. Not, not all of us, Ben, not all of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just throwing all millennials under the bus. Anyway, so I got a particular delight that uh, there was just sort of this ignorance about uh, Ed Meese, and he's a very controversial figure. I'm just going to put this out here. And so there's a mixed message. I'm, I mean, I, I, I love teasing millennials, so I, t- I had to take the uh, opportunity to do that. But and I, and more I importantly, I tell your listeners, I am not a millennial. I'm Gen X. And my husband, Mick Dumkey, said that I should have known who Ed Meese was. Because I was like, we were in fourth, I told him we were in fourth grade when he was Reagan was elected. But he's like, Meese, he told me that Meese was U.S. Attorney General and we're 17 or 18. And I told him I had other things to worry about at that age. Okay. I would say that the, your excuse is even worse than a millennial. Because a millennial can at least say, wasn't born yet. Whereas you're going, you're born. in fourth grade. Uh <laughs> So anyway, Ed Meese was a very controversial figure uh, in the uh, in the Reagan administration. Uh, and in many ways, he starts a he was a precursor to Donald Trump. Some of the outrageous things he said. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw this when you did your deep dive about welfare recipients and hunger in America just sort of exposed the prejudice that's alive today in the Trump administration. Yeah. He was the attorney general. And he was Reagan's counselor and he got involved in various scandals and eventually stepped down. Uh, so the idea that a wannabe Cook County state's attorney would promote a report with a forward by Ed Meese is. Yeah kind of astounding to a, an old baby boomer like myself. It's either Patrick O'Brien is astoundingly ignorant about who Ed Meese is, which is possibly he, for all I know, he's generation. I'm looking at his picture. It's hard to tell what generation Patrick, O'Brien, maybe he's generation X. And if I had him on the show, <laughs> no, he would go, uh, I was only in fifth grade, Ben. Uh, I don't know what he would say. Uh, never heard no, of him. I think he, I think he probably knows who Ed Meese is. Um, you know, there's also a trivia. I was mentioning this topic. I was talking about this article yesterday to Mick about the story I edited. And I mentioned Ed Meese to Mick. And he, when he was telling, you know, he, I told him I didn't know who it was. I, again, I am admitting. Mick told me that when he went on his D.C. trip in eighth grade, yeah. Ed Meese <laughs> spoke to them. And it was a new story because he was mired in controversy at the time. Mick told me he's met all these like controversial characters during his D.C. trip. And I told him, I'm like, that's interesting. How come you guys meet all these like controversial people? So it was pretty yeah. interesting. It is, by the way, so you should know something about McDunkey before we throw him under the bus, which we always do in the Ramada. Uh, one of my dearest friends was on the phone with him for over an hour yesterday talking about tiffs. Uh, McDunkey is, and I say this with all pride and love, one of the biggest geeks I know. All right. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, I, I find it astounding that uh, Patrick O'Brien would cite Ed Meese. But the other thing I found interesting, uh, Ramana, and, and I, w- I want to ask you about this. It's sort of the mixed message messages of the Republican Party following this. They're very proud. And sometimes it's done many good stories about this, about the first step law that uh, Donald Trump signed. He's very proud of that law, criminal justice reform law uh, that enables mm-hmm. people who are in federal lockup to appeal to get out of their sentences early. Sometimes they've been writing stories for the latter, if you've been editing them, but they've run quite a few stories about various 
notorious criminals who are seeking to get out of uh, federal prison early as a result of this first uh, step program. So that, I would say, is a good thing that Donald Trump did. Uh, and you got to give uh, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian credit Kim Kardashian, for alerting. Yeah. yeah. And but on the other hand, you have Patrick O'Brien assailing Kim Fox for essentially trying to do the same thing in a local level, which is to release our overcrowded prisons and jails, uh, release people from those prisons and jails who probably don't shouldn't have been sent there in the first place, or if they should have been sent there, have been in there too long. And, you know, maybe just have a whole new attitude about our locked up uh, law and order when it comes to criminal justice. So on one hand, they're praising Donald Trump for first step. On the other hand, they're quoting Ed Meese to assail Kim Fox for sort of doing the same thing. Do you see the contradiction I'm exposing? Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, you know, if I were going to bet on Patrick O'Brien unseating Kim Fox, I would say that he's not going to. But that's just my observation from where I stand. I could be wrong. But, yeah, I mean, nobody's saying that Kim Fox, you know, Kim Fox and like any elected leader should be held accountable, you know. But, you know, you have to also look at the people that are doing the criticizing and what they've criticized some people for and what other people have been criticized for. So it's a lot more complex when people bring up these criticisms. So interesting. I don't think he's, I don't think he's done criticizing Kim Fox. No, he's not. And and so what he's uh, trying to do, I guess, is to uh, get voters in Cook. First of all, I do not believe he's going to win. I like I told no. I said at the outset, I'd forgotten he was even running. Uh, yeah. And I'm a little disappointed in for not knowing who Ed Meese is. So I'm going to give him a hard time if I ever meet him. You don't know who Ed Meese is? Uh, <laughs> and uh, what are you, a millennial? Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I find it, uh, you know, it's just a, like I said, I just I think it's important uh, that that voters at least try to consider the contradictions and acknowledge the contradiction uh, appeals that their politicians are making to them. Uh, you know, so on one hand, Donald Trump patting himself on the back for criminal justice reform. On the other hand, uh, Patrick O'Brien saying we less of it in Illinois. So anyway, I think that's worth noting. All right, let's move on to Eddie Johnson Gate. Uh, big story in today's Sun Times. Uh, drinking, driving, and a police escort home, written by Frank Maine, Frank Maine, and Fran Spielman. I don't know if you edited this one, Romana, but um, we talked a lot, you and I, uh, a few months ago, about Eddie Johnson, the former police chief cop here in Chicago. Why don't you give folks the update on this report? So the Inspector General's report, um, we got details on it yesterday. Basically said that, you know, after Eddie Johnson was found slumped over the wheel of his car um, in October, there was a police supervisor who followed him home. And uh, he, Johnson, um, Eddie Johnson basically rolled through a stoplight and then he turned into the wrong lane. And uh, there was also all these other little details. Um, you know, we have heard about police office, other police officers covering for Eddie Johnson. But now, you know, we hear some things about um how um, one police officer had turned off the one who addressed him first had turned off his body camera. And so there's all these, there's no field sobriety test that was done on Johnson. He was allowed to go home and obviously escorted. That was the big, that was a big news story yesterday. So um, city inspector general Joe Ferguson um, said the city has until the end of July to respond to his report. 
And he's also going to release another report about whether the police department needs to take or whether he recommends that the police department needs to take actions against other officers who who allegedly covered up for um, Eddie Johnson. So um, this isn't over yet, just like anything else. Um, you know, it, this is a story that we're probably going to be hearing about a little more. Um, and uh, Joe Ferguson seemed to, you know, be, be critical of what Johnson did and was able to get away with it. So definitely more details about what happened after Eddie Johnson was found slumped in his car near his house. Yeah, I think when I view this, I have to view it in the political context. Uh, I've been defending Eddie Johnson, me personally. I thought he did a good job as police chief in a very trying time in the city of Chicago. So I generally I defend uh, Eddie Johnson and, and I feel uh, to a certain degree he's been unfairly treated in the aftermath. But when I read this report, I'm like, this is, I, I don't, drunk driving is a serious thing. So, yeah. you know, you, you really shouldn't just let the guy keep driving, you know? I, exactly. Uh, I think, I think that's what people were probably saying. Like why? And wasn't he always already, I don't know if from what I remember, wasn't he already outside of his home? Yes. Near his home. So where yeah. was he going? Like, because he, he went away from his home. It was in the middle of the night. He just drives yeah, well, away. <laughs> uh, wait, I'm all, no, I'm confused. I thought opposite. he was, oh, he's in the opposite direct, going in the opposite direction from his home. Opposite, is, opposite, yeah, opposite direction of his home. That's what the report said. Well, it could be that he was going somewhere else or it could be he was drunk and didn't know yeah. where he was going. So, I mean, he's an adult, so he, he can go wherever he wants in the middle of the night. He's not like he's, you know, on a curfew or anything like that. But yeah, if he's, if he was intoxicated, would any other police, if there was another regular person, would any, would a police officer just let that person go home if there were clear signs of intoxication, if they found someone slumped on, on you will, know, at the wheel of the car? I don't know. I will name people that a police officer would allow to go home, starting with their yes. boss, the police chief. I would say the mayor yes, would be sure. on that list. Any mayor, uh, not this particular mayor, but any mayor. Uh, I believe the governor of the state of Illinois would probably get, a, I think Michael Joseph Madigan would get it. <laughs> I'm just thinking of all yeah, the people. I mean, there's, of, course, of course, there's, there's definitely some people who would, but so that's, that's what's in question with the inspector general's report and, uh, you know, whether or not other police officers will be held accountable for this incident. We'll have to see, but it's, you know, we'll see what the city responds to in a few days or what says. <laughs> But we know yeah. that we know that Lori was really angry. Yes, she was very angry. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. We'll get to her in a little bit. Uh, she's also angry at Donald Trump's press secretary. Uh, I will say this. I would like to believe that a Chicago police officer would ticket or uh, the chief of police. I would like to believe that that no, person yeah. exists. In the, but in reality, just I'm not condoning walking away i'm just saying if you're a police you're officer you're not surprised yeah i know what yeah you're yeah you know i'm like it's just imagine that's if, been done yeah I, now i know for certain if you were driving drunk and they pulled you over they would definitely not allow you to go home they would not allow me to go home okay but uh yeah yeah you're right i mean when haven't public officials been you know police chiefs or, you know, government officials basically given, you know, a slap on the wrist and they go on their merry, merry old way. 
So it's, it, yeah, I guess I, I, we're being cynical here and I think it's realistic, you know, what else did we accept, expect, right? And this is an underling seeing his boss in that position. Yeah, I uh, it's asking a lot for an underling to uh, blow the whistle on the chief of police, just saying it realistic, but just being realistic about it. Uh, but uh, this this as you point, this investigation, as you said, uh, has a life of its own, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it further. All right, let's move on. You mentioned Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, Lynn Sweet had an interesting story in today's Sun-Times. Mayor Lightfoot to White House Press Secretary McGinney. Hey, Karen, watch your mouth. Give us the details on this one, Romano. So uh, Mary Lori Lightfoot had responded to uh, Donald Trump's press secretary, Kaylee McAnany. How is it? Pro- I'm probably pronouncing her name wrong. Sorry, Kaylee. But um, anyway, so uh, this press secretary was attacking Lori Lightfoot for not getting help from Donald Trump to combat the violence in Chicago. So she had used this word. Um, she called her a, a derelict, derelict, I'm like pronouncing it wrong, uh, basically um, during a press conference. And then she went over all these pictures of kids who have been recently shot in Chicago trying to like, attack Lori Lightfoot. So yesterday, um, I believe it was yesterday, Lori Lightfoot tweeted, um, hey, Karen, watch your mouth. And obviously, when uh, Lori Lightfoot had tweeted and called uh, Kaylee Karen, she was talking about, um, you know, the, the name that a lot of people use for, you know, white women who call the cops on, um, you know, people of color. And I thought it was pretty funny. I don't know if you let, read Lynn Sweet's column today. Lynn Sweet, of course, is the Washington bureau chief for the Sun-Times. But I can imagine Lynn Sweet looking up on, she, she quoted UrbanDictionary.com <laughs> and said, Karen, quote, is a stereotypical name associated with rude, obnoxious, and insufferable white middle-aged women, period, end yeah. quote. So I just, I just kind of <laughs> laughed. I chuckled to myself um, because I'm thinking about my colleague, Lynn Sweet, going on Urban dictionary.com and not to say that you know she doesn't she does her research i just i just had to chuckle when i saw that so well, we, can, um, can we just yeah, take a moment it, it, just take a web yeah, i'll interrupt you i mean uh, if you give you got to get so we were just teasing i was just teasing millennials for not knowing who ed meese is so i think it's fair game to uh you know make fun of people like me if we're look oh, karen what's karen i've never heard of, have you ever heard of karen before i'm not saying lynn sweet did that but uh if, anyway so i actually i actually think lynn sweet i actually think lynn sweet knew what it was um i think she just you know tried to like explain it to the le- readers who might not know what karen means and i just thought it was funny that she used urbandictionary.com's you know yes it definition. is by the way so i, I got to you. you know she's cool Many times uh, I've had this conversation with Dennis, the producer, and you appreciate this. On, on Twitter, uh, Facebook, etc., there's there's like a, a common, there's like a basic understanding of the world, and everybody is exchanging lingo that they all understand. Uh, but you and I and Lynn Sweet. We're grounded in the world of journalism, and we're not allowed to make assumptions that people know the things that everybody else understand you follow what i'm saying so we yeah. would have to say oh karen is a blah 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 blah." you get what i'm and that's just <laughs> journalistic yeah. training so yeah anyway, for sure and and you know and it's and it's a newer term to be fair um 
you know, maybe I didn't know who Emise was, but Mick didn't know what a Karen was. So this is like maybe a month or two ago, I had to tell him what Karen meant. So I'm just letting you know, not everybody knew what Karen meant when it first came out. Wait, all right, now help so, me out, Ramana. You're my hipster. Uh, you understand pop culture. Isn't there another one besides Karen, another name for obnoxious white women? Uh, uh, well, the first one used to be um, Becky. Becky! Because that, that was taken... <laughs> That was taken yeah. from a Beyonce song um, of the the uh, uh, to refer to the woman who uh, who cheated with uh, who basically had slept with Jay Z or had an affair with Jay Z while Beyonce and Jay Z were married, but right. the, but actually the woman she called her Becky with a good hair. So then Becky became and then it, it's also from that Sir Mix a Lot song, Baby's Got Back because. You know, there's these two white women in the beginning of the video talking about this African-American woman's butt. And one of them called the other one Becky. So it kind of stems from that, too. But somewhere Becky became Karen. So anyway, that's yes. just where we're at right now. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so go back to your narrative. I'm sorry. Did you go ahead? So anyway, um, so then, you know. We, we saw everybody has been, uh, you know, Mary, Lori Lightfoot has been trending on Twitter today because, you know, obviously people in Chicago saw this. I saw this last night and then I think other people, you know, started catching up to it. So I think a lot of people um, are applauding um, her. Um, I, I was going to say that, uh, you know, my husband was pointing out that, you know, is, is Lori Lightfoot trying to carry cater to the left, you know, the extreme left by using these terms, you know, try to, uh, you know trying to like um gain points you know from the left by using this word and trying to be yeah. hip but it's a good point so anyway it was like there was this back and forth i haven't heard just i haven't heard if donald trump has responded though on twitter yet well if i know republicans the way i know republicans uh yes. if he will respond and uh and also the Tea Party will respond and the various Republican sure. uh, email blast sites I get uh, will respond and they'll try to turn Lori Lightfoot into a mean, nasty person who's picking on uh, the press secretary and using this yeah. mean, nasty word. That's what. So they'll try to turn themselves into victims. I've seen this game and I believe over the weekend I'll get at least four or five emails saying, did you see what this nasty Chicago mayor had to say? And well, well, one thing I should also point out before we uh, leave this topic is that when this press secretary was what started going on about Lori Lightfoot and, you know, calling her names, it, this was in response to a reporter asking about people who are dying at the hands of police officers, just FYI. Yes. And so, so the it larger just, it just spiraled out of, into a, a thing about Chicago. Well, the, the larger which, issue it often does with the White House. Yeah. Yes. The, and the larger issues, the way in which Donald Trump and his Republican operatives use the violence in Chicago as sort of a weapon in against Democrats in general. They used to do it against Barack Obama, his hometown. His hometown. It's like so. We could talk for hours, Ramana, about the problems uh, that lead to violence, uh, the, uh, the the retaliation culture. Mick and I talk about this all the time. Uh, the mm -hmm. proliferation of guns, um, it's just the lack of jobs, etc., and so forth. Donald Trump is the president of the United States. It's he's as responsible as Lori Lightfoot is, or J.B. Pritzker is. 
So he acts as though this is part of some country that is not part of the United States. And, so, yeah. and, and he also, if you recall, stated in 2016 that he had a conversation with some unnamed Chicago police officer who told him they could fix these problems. Like, what was it, a week, I want to say? Something like that. And so he's been in office oh, yeah, for... I that. Yeah, so I, it's just, I don't... I'm with Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lightfoot, on this one because it just seemed the weaponization for political purposes of a very serious problem at which the city of Chicago needs to be working in conjunction with the president of the United States on. That's my take on it. What's your take? I think think it's safe to say that anybody from Chicago, whether or not they were born here, is probably on Lori Lightfoot's side on this one. I think. Maybe not. But I would think majority of Chicagoans are. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, in my case, I wasn't born here, but I am on uh, mayor Lightfoot's side on this one. So do you think that mayor Lightfoot owes, uh, the press secretary an apology for calling her a Karen? Um, I, I, I would think that she's not going to apologize for it. Knowing Lori Lightfoot. Do I think that she should? I, I don't think necessarily because, you know, we know that Donald Trump has been taking shots. At, and and the, I think the, a lot of people would say, why wouldn't the press secretary apologize to Lori Lightfoot? She's the one that started calling her names with the name calling, yeah. calling her derelict. So I, I, I don't think Lori Lightfoot would have to apologize on this one. Yeah. And I, I certainly have to bring my personal she, opinion into it. Yeah, that the yeah the the views and opinions of Ramana Hussein or Ramana <laughs> Husseins. I don't think she should apologize, or if she she does, she should do one of my apologies, where you apologize and then keep insulting. It's classic Ben Jarofsky <laughs> apology. Uh, all right, speaking of people who may or may not eat apologies, and I've been waiting to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, Barry Weiss, uh, I don't know if she was officially a columnist for the New York Times, a pundit for the New York Times. She was an, she was an opinion writer, correct? I opinion think that's writer. what her title was, or I don't know. But she's always she's always been referred to as an opinion writer. Uh, all right. She left the New York Times. Uh, this has caused quite a to-do in New York Times land. Uh, she claims, uh, well, you tell the full story. And because uh, I believe there was a column on this in today's Sun-Times as well. The Sun-Times was filled with stuff by Mona Sharin. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Barry Weiss was too Sharon, honest. But I don't know. I could, be, I could be wrong. Okay, go ahead. I, I don't know. I, uh, so Barry Weiss has been um, uh, an opinion writer, a young opinion writer for the New York Times. And, you know, She's been under fire for a long time by the left because she usually has opinions that make people cringe on the left. Um, I think I first started, and Mona Sharon mentions this in the column, I think I first started hearing about her when the in 2018, when the American figure skater who was of Japanese descent had, uh, you know, performed uh, like a feat that was never performed before and uh, a triple axle, historic triple axle. And uh, Barry Weiss went on to say, you know, quote Hamilton to sound hip and said, immigrants, they get the job done. Um, the axle line is immigrants, we get the job done. But a lot of people had pointed out or just said, you know, they thought that was offensive because this young woman who won or who did this like, you know, did this this uh, stunt or not stunt, but, you know, the the, his, the triple axle was basically is, is an American. She, she was born here. She's the daughter of immigrants. And so, you know, she's kind of had these sort of gaffes ever since because I do I do follow the criticism. I have been following the criticism of Barry Weiss on Twitter for a while. 
And she does write opinions that have I don't necessarily agree with. I mean, she had one on um, she had one on cultural appropriation, and she just sounds like for someone that's young, she just sounds so clueless. But she wrote this long um, resignation letter. It was on the 14th, so just this week. And uh, you know, she was just saying that you know she's become you know she feels like she's persecuted. That was like the tone of you know the message that she was sending out. And, you know, she said that she needed to leave. But one of the things that people pointed out is that she's probably going to be fine. I I think she's going to be starting up something with another, uh, some, another uh, writer who kind of shares the same as she does. So people think that a lot of people are speculating it's going to be a podcast. So I I don't know. I, I mean, she had a choice and she resigned. Nobody forced her out. You know, I mean, I haven't seen any indication that she was asked to leave. And in terms of people with conservative opinions, that's been for years. I mean, it's only recently that we're starting to hear um, voices uh, from people who aren't from the right in opinion pages, I feel like, or at least from my opinion, from reading the papers in Chicago. I grew up, I mean, I don't think I could read most of the opinion writers when I was younger, in my 20s. I would just cringe at everything that I would see in the opinion pages. And because I didn't really see anybody that reflected my views or, you know, my ideas. And I'm not someone that's like completely on the left, but I definitely did have different views Barry Weiss did. So I don't know. I don't feel like she was forced out. There was a woman from the, I think it was the Atlantic who defended her and said, this is the word, this is like the biggest story in journalism, Barry Weiss leaving. Journalism and a lot of a lot of people on the left and a lot of reporters and especially reporters of color were very angry because they said things like, well, there was there was a journalist from the Middle East who was killed by his own government. <laughs> yeah. you know, and they brought up all these important stories involving journalists. So I don't know. I just thought she was a little um, she wasn't someone for me. I don't know if you and, and, and again, I'm someone that's OK with having different opinions, but. You know, I, I don't feel like there's a – I don't think people on the right are being muffled in any way. They're just being – they're just they're just people criticizing them openly now, and that's the difference, I think. And, and, and everybody – if I'm writing from the left point of view or I'm writing something and it, some people disagree with it, they have a right to write something too. So I think it's just that this is the first time a lot of, a lot of people who think a certain way are getting pushed back or getting told that they're wrong. Or that they, people don't agree with their opinions. So that's what I think it is. And you and I talked about it. I don't think there's any shortage of young people with conservative voices who aren't propelled to, like, you know, to the stage. You know, we have Tommy Laren. A couple of years ago, we had Milo Yiannopoulos. I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong, and we talked about that. But um, a lot of these young people get platforms. Tommy Lahren is only 27 years old, and she's been on the. She, I feel like she's been on the scene forever. It's just like whenever people see like a young person with a conservative voice, they they kind of get humanized. I, I mean, I remember seeing articles about her and other conservatives in a, ma- a magazine I read, and it was kind of fawning. So I don't know. I don't think there's a. I don't think there's this. You know, wave. There's definitely the conversation's changing, but. Barry Weiss didn't have to leave if she didn't want to, from what, from why I, I understand. And I, I understand that a lot of, I think there was, like, there was, it didn't have to do with this, like, you know, I know some other New York Times reporters wrote that it wasn't like this long standing feud, because that's what Barry Weiss called it. They said that it was more of just one meeting where you know, she was called out and, you know, she kind of felt offended and then decided to leave. 
So I don't know. Well, Everybody with, was talking about it that day on Twitter. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. What you said, I was uh, actually taking notes on what you said. A lot of good points. I, I, I've been thinking about this. I want to write about this. This, uh, this is an offshoot of one of my favorite topics. And that is the victimization that right-wingers have claimed. They, they want to be victims. And I see it. Yeah. And they've done such, such a successful job that people of the liberal persuasion are like apologetic about it. So you're absolutely correct with what you said. It's, it's not that her, she's been muffled. It's that she's been challenged. So yes. you put something out there. And I know this, I've been writing columns for a long time. You put something out there, you're going to get ripped. Not everyone's going to agree with exactly. you. And exactly. you gotta, you gotta be a big boy and a big girl about it. And they're going to come after you and they're going to say all kinds of mean, nasty things about you. And they're going to make stuff up about <laughs> you. And it's just the way it is. It's, uh, it's the way, yeah. but when, when you, when a right winger gets some criticism, they start crying, oh, they're picking on me. And, and I'm like, are you <laughs> kidding? Like, you know, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I write stories. I've written stories sometimes that have nothing to do with, they're just regular stories. And then, you know, somebody sends me an email and calls me a terrorist, you know? So I'm just saying like, you know, I could write a story that has nothing to do with terrorism. And, you know, I once wrote a story about airplane security. I mean, I'm not even writing my opinion. And somebody said, are you sure someone of your ilk should be talking about the airline industry or like, you know, the airports? And so, you know what I mean? As as a writer, you kind of have to have to deal with this stuff. And I'm not saying it's right. And I've never gone after Barry Weiss, but I've seen the criticism of her, and I, I think the criticism is, is is legit. So, I like, and I've I've talked to you before too. It's just, you know, now that there's not a group of elite white people making the decisions, like making the decisions about, and then there's other there's other people pushing back on who gets to make those decisions or who gets to do the canceling in our society. I think that's what's irking people. It's because it's not a certain segment of the population that does the canceling now. It's okay, like everybody let, does the canceling now. All right. Let, just, that's, that's a modern word. Canceling. I, I have yeah, a reluctance to even use stupid words that, that, that the right use cancel, cancel culture, this, that, no one canceled Barry Weiss. Barry Weiss had a Nobody high paid job for a prominent newspaper with great union benefits. Nobody yeah, canceled the Republic, her. Um, had a, yeah, the Republic had a good article today or yesterday said she canceled herself. Yeah, she canceled. So, so. <laughs> you know, and that's it. I mean, this goes back to the Tom Cotton. Senator Tom Cotton wrote a column, uh, an opinion piece, whatever they call it these days, for The New York Times, in which he called for federal intervention, uh, sending in the troops to cities where there was uh, unrest. Yeah, I know how to treat them. I'll send in the troops. And that was his attitude. And there was a big blowback in the New York Times. Uh, the uh, op-ed editor either quit or got fired. I, for, I forget which, James Bennett. Now, oh, there's all this to do. They, oh, they're censoring Tom Cotton. You could still read Tom Cotton's crummy editorial or op-ed piece on the New York Times. They just, they put a little disclaimer on it. Same thing happened just the other day. I don't know if you saw this with USA Today. With uh, the Trump mm-hmm. aide, Navarro, who was critical of Fauci, and he wrote some dumb op-ed piece, which was 
inaccurate. And so USA Today is kind of backing. I don't know if you saw this is backing off. No one's censoring Navarro. You could still read his piece. It's still on USA Today. Cotton's piece is still on the New York Times. Anything Barry Weiss that wrote, exactly. wrote the New York Times, still on the New York Times. It's like it's like it's like gone with the wind, you know. Um, HBO decided to get rid of Gone with the Wind. That's their choice. But if I really want to watch Gone with the Wind, I'm sure I can find it anywhere uh, in a lot of places. HBO or not HBO, a different one. Was, was it, it HBO? HBO? I, thought it, I thought it was HBO. Uh, yeah, you, I thought you know it was what? HBO. Maybe it wasn't. I should know. I learned my lesson. Never take issue with Romana on something of pop <laughs> Every single time. The tw- folks, you know, the text will come in. Was? Uh, I think it was yeah, I'll, Turner. I'll Google after I'm off the phone with you. Well, I, I, a variety listen. article here says that HBO Max has restored Gone with the Wind with a disclaimer saying that the film denies the horror yeah. of slavery. Uh, excellent, Brian. Yeah, see, I told you it was, it was HBO. <laughs> Brian, I HBO make this Max. mistake all the time. I take issue with Romano saying it's something about popular culture and I'm wrong. <laughs> you would think I learned my lesson a long time ago. Listen, here's the other thing about uh, Barry Weiss. Now you got me going. I'm all fired up about this. But I read this this column by uh, Sharon, or not Sharon, Sharon. I'll call her Mo- Mona. Uh, Mona, Sharon, yeah. The thing is, she made a joke about uh, the Japanese-American skater uh, doing a triple access. She made the immigrant joke, and she was called on it because uh, the skater is actually not an immigrant, okay? At which point you make yep. a joke that bombs, and you go, you know what? I blew it. But she doubles down and starts defending herself. She didn't herself. say that. I know. She that's said, my oh, point. Felt the poetic license was kosher, you know? Yeah. That's my point. That's, you that's, know, so that's the thing. She's so, yeah. she's so smug. I've, I've just met her. And then, you know, when people criticize her, she's just so smug. And, you know, I guess she's smart, you know, um, I'll give her that. But it's like, you know, I don't, I'm not worried about her. I think, you know, she's not somebody that's like, oh God, she's out of a job and she's never going to like get back up. She'll definitely get back up. She'll be yeah. fine. No, I'm so, not worried she about her. her job. Yeah. No, I know. And I'm like not I worried said, about her. I'm worried about yeah. and, her and, being used as and this assault on any, on people yeah. who dare to challenge the mainstream views. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. you're picking on us. Oh, you're censoring yeah. us. I, that's the part yeah. that irritates me. I don't worry yeah. about her. She shouldn't be the martyr on this on this topic for sure. I agree. All right, we we see eye to eye on Barry Weiss, but I I will give. I have to concede. I told you this before, so I give a shout out to Mona Sharon, uh, or Sharon, excuse me, uh, the columnist. She's I don't know. I'm, I could be pronouncing the name right too. Uh, but she's a conservative columnist. But I give her credit for this. And I really have to give her credit. She lays out the tr- traditional conservative argument uh, that uh, lefties are too mean to people that they disagree with uh, and that they're uh, effectively censoring them. But then she also goes on to say it's not just the left. And she calls out the right. And she points out all the outlets that have, quote unquote, punished Republicans who've dared to criticize Donald Trump and she's got National Review in there, the Wall Street Journal, Fox News. So I give her credit. Usually when the people, the right wingers are sobbing at their victimhood and feeling sorry for themselves and crying about the mean, nasty liberals, they overlook parallel action by the right. So we got to give her credit for that. Correct. Yeah, for sure. 
All right. Very good. Mona, Sharon or Sharon, whatever your name is. Good job on that one. All right. Uh, and I'm looking at the clock. We're, well, you know, I have time to ask you. I guess we'll hold off on the Governor Kemp uh, lawsuit. We'll get into uh, Ramon's recommendations. Poor Governor Kemp and his lawsuit. That was what was on my mind when I woke uh, today, Ramana, and then all the all the Mike Madigan news just blew it out. Yeah, but- there's we just we just had a lot of news this week. It's been busy. It's a busy news week. Um, on top of that, coronavirus is still it's still a problem. So we have a lot of things going on. Um, recommendations. Uh, I am. I just finished. I told you this last week, but I just finished. Um, the Haunting of Hill House, which is a Shirley Jackson book, but they made a Netflix series on it. I think it came out a year ago, so I just finished that yesterday. I would recommend it, but it's because I, I just read the book. I just finished it. It's completely different than the book, but it pays homage to um, the book, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, the, if you like scary movies or scary shows, it's good. I thought the ending was a little weak. And now I'm looking for a new show. And I know I talked about this a little with you. A friend of mine was telling me Anne with the E. It's a Canadian show of it's basically Anna Green Gables and people who are my age, a lot of especially women who are my age love Anne of Green Gables. Even if you didn't read the book because PBS had a series and I think it came out in 85. And it was basically Mm -hmm. Anna Green Gables. She's basically this young, it's a story about this orphan and she's this young woman and she's really feisty and everybody likes her and relates to her. So my friend was telling me she's watching this with her daughter and she said, it's really, really good. It touches upon like a lot of modern issues. So I don't know. I might watch that or I might watch um, your recommendation that you talked about before, which you can discuss right now. Okay, well, uh, one more time. I just want to say we talked about this last week. Uh, shout out to Romana for recommending Dead to Me. And I absolutely loved it. We watched the first year. We took a break to start watching Pose. I always make fun of myself because I'm behind the times. Uh, I'm notoriously behind the times. I just learned what Karen was and Becky. Okay, I'm a little slow <laughs> on things. Uh, but uh, so I'm two years behind on Pose, which came out for uh, FX in 2018. Uh, and now it's on Netflix, so I get to watch it. Man, I love this show so freaking much. I've watched the first three episodes, Ramana, and it, it's a story about like a subculture in New York City in the 1980s. So New York City in the 1980s is kind of, I don't know, a cool decade. I'm, I'm into it a little bit. Uh, yeah. and, uh, the, the music is sort of, uh, is a lot of disco. I love disco music a lot. I'm revealing a lot about myself here. Uh, but it's a, a subculture of trans, a black trans and uh, a couple Puerto Ricans, but mostly black, uh, in, in the mm-hmm. balls that they had in the 1980s and the prejudice they face, uh, not just from the larger, uh, white straight world, but also from white gay world, a lot of prejudices against black people. Uh, so it's really O'Brien Murphy, who I think is a genius. He's the guy who did Glee and um, the O.J. Simpson uh, uh, docudrama with, um, who was this? David Schwimmer was in it, John Travolta, Cuba Gooding Jr. played O.J. Anyway, I think the guy's brilliant. So I really recommend, would love to get your reaction to it. Uh, very stylized. There's these balls that they have, very stylized balls with uh, disco music in the background. So two thumbs, in my opinion, way up high for Pose. That's what I'm watching. I, uh, oh, I'll have to check it out. I'll have to check it out. I got it kind of, I feel like when it came out, it got like mixed reviews, but I've read a lot of magazine articles about it and a lot of the um, uh, 
actors and actresses or that are in it, a lot of the, um, you know, they've been profiled in magazines that I read. They've been on covers of magazines that I read. So I think it's really popular. It's gotten really popular. So I definitely know about the show. Yeah. So I'll have to well, check it out. Check it out. I mean, uh, if you like, you got to like disco. If you don't like disco music, mm, it's probably not your thing. But uh, uh, so um, anyway, uh, that's what. I, now you're excited about the opening of your beloved baseball season. Your Cubs are starting up this week. Um, you're going to be watching baseball. I'm a little, um, you know, I, I'm more of a I, I'm a Cubs fan, but as you know, but I'm not like my husband. I don't listen to every game on the radio or need to watch. He doesn't really watch it on TV. He, you know, my brother watches every, almost every game that he can. And Mick listens to it all every time on the radio that he can. So I'm not one of those people. I'm sure the radio will be on again next week when the Cubs start playing. But I don't know. I feel a little like apprehensive because I'm not going to be going to Wrigley Field to watch any of the games, which is the way I like watching baseball. I like it watching it live. That's the only way it's fun for me. And I also have this weird thing where I only like watching the Cubs. I don't want to watch any other baseball team because then I think it's boring, like my other friends who don't like baseball say. So I don't know. I'm going to be definitely keeping an eye on the games. I'm sure I'll be listening to it inadvertently because we'll have it up playing on at home. I'm excited, but at the same time, like if the Cubs do win like the World Series, it's gonna, is the season only going to be like two weeks because everybody gets coronavirus or is it going to be like three months? Would it be the same? I just don't know like if the hype is going to be the same or yeah. the excitement is going to be the same. I think people do miss sports. I know Mick really misses sports a lot, and I think I think part of him will be excited. But you know, we're hearing a lot about like college sports teams, and you know, a lot of you know younger players who are playing for college teams getting coronavirus, and you know, people are taking a step back. There's basketball players who professional basketball players who've gotten coronavirus. I think there was a pitching coach for the Cubs got coronavirus, correct? I think, and then there's a couple people that had to take a few days off. So I don't know, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be fun. I think everybody's going to be excited for the first day. And I think I probably will be listening or paying attention to it, but it's also going to be a little eerie if you watch it on TV. Cause I do want to watch a game on TV because there's going to be nobody in the stands yeah. um, watching the game. You can, Mick was telling me the other day that you can have a picture of yourself, like a life size yes. picture of yourself that you pay for and have it sitting in the field, which is a little creepy. I would think that if I was a player, I would find that creepy. Just looking at pictures of people, and then like just like still, just like a. I think that's like you can make a horror movie out of something like that, where these like, you know still pictures of people come to life or something. It'll so, look like a late nineties, like I, a late nineties video game where the background can't really render all the way. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I, so I, I'm, 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 I'm apprehensive, but I'm excited a, a little bit. Well, just, I, I, I just t- will miss like being at the baseball at the Wrigley Field. Uh, to the last point you made, I urge everybody to check out Rick Morris. He wrote a column for the Sun Times yesterday, uh, the uh, sports columnist for the Sun Times. It was pretty funny about just what you're talking about the cut ups, the cardboard cut ups that will be. Oh, at, did he? Uh, okay, so, I got to check it yeah, out. Very funny, funny column. I had to give him credit. Had some good lines, and there it was one of those comps. I'm like, God damn, I wish I wrote that. Um, so give uh, Rick Morris a shout out there. Uh, listen. Ramana, I've I've con- confessed this, so I'm going to just say it again. Uh, I 
one of the I'm not from Chicago, so I've always rooted for the Cubs and the Sox equally. All right, I don't buy into that. Well, and get one or the other. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not from to. Chicago. Yeah, uh, not being from Chicago, I could do what I want. Anyway, uh, and so, but this year, you're one of those people who say I'm a Chicago fan. That's annoying. But. <laughs> uh, Yes, I guess so. Although, uh, do I? I'm not like a uh, hundred. I haven't really been rooting for the Blackhawks since 1971. That's a whole other story. Anyway, uh, I root for the Cubs and the Sox, but I cannot bring myself to root for the Cubs right now at this point in time because of the Rickets and their yeah. alliance with Donald John Trump, and my feeling that if. I support the Cubs. I'm supporting Trump. So it's just, it's a struggle I have. And so I'm like doubling down on my love for the White Sox. I'm wearing a White Sox hat all the time. And uh, so it's this year I'm really rooting for the White Sox and they have a good team. So I'm recommending to you, here's Ben's recommendation to Romana <laughs> that you give the White Sox a little love this year. You know, now you can try. Yeah, that's never going to happen. I, I, I do always <laughs> cheer for the White Sox if the Cubs aren't involved. I do want them to win, but yeah, not over the Cubs, even though I have issues with the tickets and, you know, I've written about that too. It's very difficult, but I always just think I'm supporting the players, not the owners. <sighs> All right. Well, that's that's your stand and that's my stand. And I'm sure we'll be discussing it next week. Ramana Hussein, every For Friday sure. on my show. Thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. All right. You too. Thanks. All right. That's the great Ramana Hussein. And uh, Brian, I want to thank you uh, for doing an outstanding job the last three days. Uh, you were rushed in off the bench, so to speak, uh, when Dennis had to go to Alton. And uh, you've really shown quite a command of that board there. Uh, and then he played the guitar to open the show. Uh, some Pink Floyd. <laughs> every time. Uh, gets me every time. So, uh, and Brian Ernst uh, runs, basically runs podcasting empire at the Chicago Sun-Times. He produces the France Spielman show. Uh, you did uh, Richard Roper and Rick Tallender show about the Chicago Bulls, correct? Correct. And uh, you correct. produce... You, Thank you, uh, Muller. And uh, Hallis Intrigue, Hallis Hall Intrigue. Don't you do the Bears show too? or is that? Luckily, that's pretty self-sufficient uh, by the guys out at Hallis Hall. But uh, I did get them their gear. I did do that. All right. Well, you've done a great job for me, and I appreciate it. So uh, as I always say to Dennis, give yourself a raise and take it out of petty cash. See you on Tuesday, everybody. Have a good weekend. Heard a lot of complaints. I'm not a doctor. Heard a lot of complaints. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.